hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. How many of you have a friend or colleague who is transgender? Are you curious about the process yourself? Do you ever wonder what the financial and emotional costs are? Well, to be honest, John and I are completely in the dark on this subject. We don't have, that we know of, a friend who is trans. So this week, we invite Andy, who has just started his transition, to join us for an insightful and engaging conversation. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Okay, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in-crowd. Everybody wants to... Look good. My decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on. Um... <laughs> Grab a glass of wine because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. Well, welcome back to another edition of Queer Money. We're excited about uh, this particular topic today. We're talking about the financial consequences of uh, and uh, benefits of transitioning. Uh, so we're talking to a friend of a friend of ours, Andy Tremonti, uh, who is uh, in transition. He is transitioning from female to male. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Um, and uh, he's going to give us some context and background about uh, his preparation for transitioning and what our audience might want to consider um, or at least understand uh, about those who uh, do consider transitioning. So um, as an introduction, Andy, would you mind uh, give us, giving us a little bit of an intro to yourself, please? Yes. Okay. Um, so my name is Andy Trumati. <laughs> um, so I was born and raised in Utah. I grew up LDS. Um yeah, so there's a there's a new dynamic to that. Yeah, interesting <laughs> dynamic there. Um, yeah, I left the church in my teens, and I haven't been active since. So I came out as trans um, a couple months ago. Um, so it's been an interesting process. So for 32 years, I have kind of thought about it. You know, um, wondered what I should do, who I should talk to, stuff like that. And this year was the year that it all came to fruition. So well, congratulations. Yeah. It's a big step. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I want to add the caveat and we, we said this to Andy in advance. Um, David and I aren't that familiar with transitioning. Um, we don't, uh, we know of trans people, but we are actually friends, unfortunately with any trans people. Uh, so if we use any wrong words or, or say anything potentially <laughs> offensive, we apologize in advance yeah. and we've asked Andy to, to please correct us, uh, to educate us as well. Um, so, uh, my first question, kind of touching uh, on the, the LDS, um, David is actually a former Jehovah's Witness. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I understand the religious understand. background. <laughs> <laughs> um, could you give us a little bit of uh, just brief background about that particular struggle, if you don't mind, please? Yeah. Um, I remember when I was growing up, especially as a, a young teen, um, I didn't have the words, the terminology to use for kind of what I was feeling. And I had a really nice friend group when I was younger. Um, My mom kind of already knew, but we just kind of, you know, went with the flow. It wasn't really something we talked about. Um, But yeah, my friends, they they just knew that I was one of the guys and that that it was never talked about and it was never something that um, was an issue. So I basically went through life just, going through life. I didn't have the terminology. I just kind of did things and I picked up a lot on, um, you know, the, the things around me, the way people would speak and, uh, specifically like when Ellen came out back in the day, right. Yeah. Uh, the tone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And the way people would talk about the LGBTQ and the queer community was, was was hard. It was disheartening, you know, to to grow up that way and not really have those role models and and then you know going to church and <laughs> trying to fulfill those roles and understanding that wait I don't 
really understand why I'm in young women's. Can we, <laughs> can we talk about this? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much how it was as a, as a youth um, growing up that incongruence with, you know, the religious aspect and my identity um, grew thicker. So, you know, I have had a chance to, you know, reconcile a lot of those feelings, which for a lot of people in this community and specifically in this region is something that's a lot harder to do. So um, I, you know, I, I, I'm glad that um, I've been able to do that, um, especially through the work that I do working with, you know, survivors of intimate partner violence and sexual assault, um, being able to support those people um, in a way that I didn't receive that support. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That's great. It sounds like um, you had the same or similar conflicts to what David had when he was growing up. Mm. Yeah. So it's a, unfortunately it's a struggle that I think a lot of kids yeah. go through when they're um, you know in their parents' house um, and their parents happen to be religious and they don't um, necessarily identify with um, you know the teachings that that they're hearing every Sunday at, at church. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think that there's a, a cognitive dissonance of what you yes. what you believe and you believe in the values and in, that's in, inside of you and and what you're being told these are the values you should be having and uh, it's very difficult when that when those don't line up and and especially as a as a child you're hearing things that, like you said you know, why am I in the young women's group you yeah. hear, you're hearing <laughs> these things and they just logically they make sense but you don't feel them. And, yes. and, and it's very yes. hard to feel that. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like telling a, a person when they're sad, we'll just be happy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, you have that, that internal struggle. Yeah. yeah. Do you, yeah. um, when you look back on that time frame, um, do you think that there are certain times in your life when maybe there were moments that it, it, that shone, that shone through as as kind of a, a reason to continue? You know, I know I'm just going to take a step back here. I know that there's a, a lot of there's always been a lot of discussion around the the self doubt and self uh, hatred and things like yeah. that because of uh, maybe because of religion or what other people are telling us. Do you think there were times in your life that maybe there were glimmers of hope and, and the things that made it worthwhile to go on? So that's an excellent question. Um, I remember that when I was a teenager, I did struggle with internalized transphobia. Um, and those are kind of the conversations we had within our community and our neighborhoods, you know, um, the negative things that were being said about the queer community, the LGBTQ community. Um, so coming from that and understanding um, those feelings of that internalized uh, transphobia and like that, that difficulty kind of coming to terms with my own self, um, you know, things like for me, representation in media, like when I first found the Advocate magazine, I was like, yes. <laughs> what is please. this? <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, is this is this real? Is this magic? <laughs> yeah. So I I don't know how many times I went to Barnes and Noble to get every, you know, LGBTQ magazine possible. And during that time there wasn't a lot of uh, trans inclusion. So um, being able to identify with uh, a marginalized that marginalized community um, because at first, you know, I did come out as lesbian and I, you know, it was, it was interesting. I, I felt kind of okay with that, except that underlying <laughs> maleness that I didn't really have terms for. So absolutely being able to see, read, um, know other people's experiences was really, really beneficial for me. Really beneficial. It's interesting you say that because one of, uh, one of our early podcasts, uh, in this iteration of Queer Money, we interviewed uh, a director, um, Reed Waterer, who has done a number of short films uh, around uh, the queer community. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that we highlighted in there was that seeing and hearing those stories, you know, watching something, a, a movie or a TV show where you saw somebody that was, that you, that was closer to your norm than yes. to the, the, the general norm and just how, you know, inspired you felt or, or excited that you felt when you knew that there was a character <laughs> in there that was queer and you were like, Oh, Yay! yes, <laughs> it's for me. <laughs> They're speaking my voice. Yes. Yeah. I had, that was really cool. I really enjoyed that. 
and there's a lot more representation now. I mean, even the stuff that is, you know, kind of problematic, we are allowing these discussions to happen. And, you know, let's talk about trans lives and why um, it's important to understand the barriers that are faced and the discrimination, you know, et cetera, because it happens and it's happened for a long time and we need to change that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the, queer community has also sort of had an evolution of understanding. Oh yeah. Um, originally, obviously in the sixties and seventies and eighties, it was all about, you know, predominantly it seemed like gay, gay men. Um, and then we started talking more about lesbians, probably because of Ellen um, in part. And then um, even recent, it seems like only recently that we've started to talk about, you know, trans issues. Um, and I, th- I think it's very fascinating, even as much pressure as we put on the, the, the mainstream media and the, and the straight community to, to evolve more quickly, we're still trying to catch up ourselves. And I think eventually we'll just catch up with what the Native Americans thought hundreds of thousands of years ago. <laughs> so, yeah, right. They were way ahead of our, way ahead of our time. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, um, so you decided to come out as, as trans a year ago, is that correct? Or about a year ago? Yeah, within the last year. It was yeah, it was a couple months ago. So yeah. So what was the what was um what was the what was the reason they finally made you say okay I'm gonna I'm gonna proceed with this? So this is funny. I had a friend, and um, I came to her one time and I said, hey, you know, I was struggling and um, it was about gender, and she was like, okay, honey, well, let's talk. So about every six months we have this conversation. So maybe this is something that you should address. And I was like, wait, what are you saying? Uh, So I started to, you know, think about it like, okay, so this kind of makes sense that all these feelings throughout my life, um, not feeling like I fit in, not really understanding why I was in the places I was in, why I was being, um, you know, divided from the people that I connected with. Um, and that was, that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I found a gender, <clears throat> excuse me, a gender affirming therapist and he's awesome. So being able to talk to him about this stuff that I haven't been able to talk about for, you know, three decades has been wonderful, has been absolutely wonderful. And that's definitely something I recommend is finding that support, whether it be a gender affirming therapist or the, you know, your, your chosen family and the community that you go in. So, yeah. Interesting. So just a question on that, that that you said gender affirming therapist, is that right? Yeah. So in Utah, we actually have a, an LGBTQ affirming therapist guild. So you can go online and you can look at, um, therapists, uh, mental health professionals who are affirming have, you know, um, maybe more training, um, more knowledge about the LGBTQ community and how um, people who can effectively advocate and, you know, be, be a therapist for people in this marginalized group. Interesting. Kind of that, yeah, that bit of cultural competency, you know, right. understanding. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know about general population, um, but is that something that you found that was easy to get covered by your insurance in the line of work that you're in? So I have insurance through the the marketplace. Okay. So yeah. Um, And so with the Affordable Care Act, um, the nice thing about that is they can't, um, most health insurance companies can't discriminate on gender identity or trans, uh, trans or transgender status. So those changes and the Affordable Care Act has really helped with stuff like that. So um, I actually just went to my provider and looked up a, a doctor and, you know, was going to test out a doctor. And I actually was specifically looking for a female doctor. And um, I, you know, it was like two months to get in. And so they called me one day. I was like, hey, there's this guy. And I'm like, ugh. And I did it. And it has been the most wonderful thing ever. So, yeah. I, I think that that. that's an interesting question. Do you mind Do you mind if I ask why you were had a preference for a female doctor? Um, it's kind of, it's been interesting. Um, reconciling, this is a good question, rec- reconciling those um like female lived experiences um, 
and, you know, maybe finding that connection in the doctor that she could understand like, Hey, um, I, you know, still menstruate and I still need, you know, certain exams and, mm-hmm. um, which is nice that the affordable care act allows for that, that even if your gender marker says female, um, and so you have a, a prostate that you can still get that prostate exam, which is very important, you know, for trans folk, because we may not have the anatomy uh-huh. that, you know, um, that we were assigned, you know, or, uh, excuse me, that uh, is congruent with our gender identity. Right. So that can be problematic and put us at more risks. But, um, Absolutely. but yeah, the, the, oh, I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> um, but Sorry, see so what you're going to say. Uh, we'd ask why why you had a preference for a female doctor, only because I'm wondering if if there are other um, other female to male uh, trans people who watch the show, they might have the same concerns. And if if, if yours were abated uh, when you found a male doctor, um, that you know might help them as well. Yeah, I found that having a female doctor um, was easier for me, mm-hmm. and this is important to say that this, you know, is my story and everyone has a unique story. And to remember that things that work for me may not necessarily work for you, um, but they could. And that's, and that's, you know, good, but you know, some trans um, men do find being with a male therapist is more beneficial, especially with that, that male identity and um, the understanding of masculinity Mm -hmm. and experiencing masculinity. So, that is a very interesting piece, um, depending on where you are in your journey. And remember, there's no end goal. It's not about, you know, okay, so I'm a trans man. That means that I have to have bottom sur- or top surgery. I have to have hormones. I have to have a huge beard. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's no, like, not- outline. Of That's what only you because you want to be a hipster, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Don't out me as a hipster, okay? <laughs> yeah, there's no, like definition of what it means to be trans and that's really important to know too is that just because someone identifies as trans uh, doesn't mean that they're going to go to a different gender and and completely conform to all those stereotypes and roles that as humans our experiences are fluid and as we know that people have blue eyes right but not everyone has the same color of blue eyes so we have to remember that there are many differences and many unique aspects to our, our journeys. <laughs> so what's, um, so you decided to, 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 to come out as, as trans. Um, and, um, at that point, is that when it's appropriate to refer you to, um, using, um, male pronouns or how, how, what's the appropriate way of doing that? So that's an excellent, that's an excellent question because, um, it's important to mirror language of, the trans community and even, um, you know, the queer community at large is that when I came out, I was still comfortable, more comfortable using they, them pronouns Mm -hmm. and slowly was using he, him pronouns, um, especially with my close friends. So it depends. Um, and it's, it's, it's always, you know, good to ask and you, you know, usually, in the trans community, if you ask someone and say, hey, um, what pronouns do you use? Um, it's, it's seen as like, oh, you, you care, you understand, mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to help me feel comfortable and, and know that this is, can be a little bit um, hard. Um, however, if you ask someone like, hey, what pronouns do you use? And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then you probably didn't do any harm. But yeah, so it, it depends on the person. And it's, you know, depending on your relationship with that person, um, feeling comfortable asking them and say, Hey, you know, what pronouns do you use or what name do you, or um, what name would you like to me? Right. Would you like me to call you? And I, we have started to see in, in email signatures that people are putting, um, you know, yeah. him, her, or, you know, what, you know, I guess the pronouns the that they prefer to have used right. to reference yeah. them, yeah. which I think is an interesting um, evolution of, of things. <laughs> yeah. It, it, what, what you just said, it just really reminds me a lot of, uh, of Kinsey and the Kinsey yeah. scale. And, you know, it, the, the, 
So John has this expression he likes to say from time to time I make a comment and he goes, but I'm butch. And, you know, it's just, I think that on certain days he feels that and certain days he doesn't. I'm the same way. And I think that, you know, we, like you said, this fluidity, and I think that it's, it's, we're starting to get to this evolution of where it's okay for people to feel that they don't have to be these polar ends of the spectrum with anything, which is really good because... I don't know, you know, you, you, every day you wake up being a slightly different person based on the experiences you've had before. Yeah. And so you allow those experiences to mold you into the person that you are every day. And, uh, and it allows you to say, oh, I, I like the experiences, the feelings that I had on that particular day. And I'm going to maybe tack towards that a little bit more or away from it based on how you feel. And that's a very interesting point, too, because we live in a culture of dichotomies and false dichotomies, right? So we have the the good bad narrative where if you know someone is either good or they're bad, like for example would be people who are um like, you know, criminals, right? As soon as you get charged with something, you're now in that bad that bad box because you have done something to push you all the way over to the other end of that spectrum. And you know, think of uh Democrats or Democrats and Republicans. It's like there's one or the other. It's you're religious or you're not. It's right, right. And it doesn't work. We can't, you know, really put humans into a box. If you look through even the DSM, the Diagnostical and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, they're not as easy laid out as we'd like to think. You know, everything is is a spectrum. (laughs) Right. I think I think having boxes maybe served us fifty. 40,000 years ago. It makes things easy. Right. But now I think we're, we're in, a, in a, an age of consciousness expansion, as Hunter S. Thompson would say. <laughs> and, and I think that we're, we're starting to realize, at least there's a percentage of the population that's starting to realize that there aren't boxes and that that's actually okay. Um, yeah. It actually serves us better if we let everybody be who they are. And just because somebody was bad in one particular experience that got them put in jail, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad for life and we should treat them accordingly so that they have the opportunity to, to be better than they were that one particular bad day. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's great. So um, to go back a little bit, um, so you, you came out as, as, as trans and um, identify as a man. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the thought process then um, to decide to, 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 to do the, 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 the medical transition? What does that look so, like? So <clears throat> that... Um, that process is very interesting because um, a lot of times, so think about this, you're going through your life, you know, I'm thir- I'll be 32 in a month. Um, for these 32 years, I haven't been able to talk about it, haven't been really able to um, make those connections. And now all of a sudden I can, and I have the, the support, I have insurance, I have um, a job, <laughs> you know. Um, but the excitement can sometimes hinder the process. So um, I know that I've kind of gone up and down with starting um, tea or testosterone because there, you know, I want to make sure that the health risks are, you know, worth the benefits and, um, you know, my outcome uh, in, you know, like, in the next five years, am I going to be happier and be more complete and outweighing all these things? Like if it's right for me and it's been an interesting process. Um, so testosterone doesn't happen overnight. So when you take it, it, um, can take upwards of, you know, a year or two for most of the effects to come in. Um, and I already have a pretty gender neutral voice and I have a little bit of a cold right now, but, uh, <laughs> So the deepening of the voice and all these things is like going through a second puberty. I will get acne and, you know, awkward chin hairs, which I already have. Don't worry. (laughs) And so there's, there's so much more to it. And I think it's really important to look at, you know, like the cost benefit, the cost and benefits of it. Like is the risk of maybe, um, a, a, a little bit of an increase in stroke, you know, to you worth the positive effects and positive benefits. And um, there's a lot of different aspects to the, the medical transition. We were talking about surgeries, which 
first off, finding someone who will do the surgery. And a, a lot of the times people have to go out of state to like California or Colorado to find a, a doctor who has experience. Right. Um, and that can be, you know, <laughs> if we're talking about like a, a double mastectomy, depending on how much tissue has to be removed, can be from six to $9,000, right? And that doesn't include aftercare. And um, so what if I do bottom surgery, um, you know, get a, there's a lot of different <laughs> surgeries involved in that. I mean, where we, you know, recreate, um, like testicles where we, you know, um, recreate a, a penis. And unfortunately those surgeries have not been refined as well as, um, female or a male to a female, um, transgender folks, bottom surgery where, um, it's a pretty good surgery. Right. And you get the results that you, that you want. Um, however, being, um, on the, the transmasculine scale makes it a little bit more difficult because there's less options. And remember, it's easier to take tissue away than to build it up. Yeah. And it's interesting to think like how much of this has to do with basic gender inequality, you know, and like the, the gaining of privilege and the taking away of privilege and, um, kind of where we are researching certain things. And um, it's a very interesting aspect within the trans community even to see these other um, larger concepts coming out. So with all that being said, <laughs> um, the nice thing about the Affordable Care Act is that um, they can't have a like blanket exclusion for trans stuff. So um, some companies, they will deny, they'll say, oh no, we don't cover that or you can't have that, but, um, you need to fight it, unfortunately. And they're assuming that people won't, that they're like, oh, well, I'm going to be denied. So I can't do anything. Right. Um, however, if you're denied, you know, appeal that say, Hey, um, you know, you can say anything like the affordable care act says that you can, you know, and, right. um, but telling them that, Hey, you do cover it. And that, you can't, you know, deny it is, is really important. And it's kind of that piece that we have to kind of advocate for ourselves every step of the way we have to you know, push and fight um, every step of the way. Right. So I think what you're saying is very interesting. And you alluded to it earlier, but I was apparently a blockhead. Um, so you can identify as trans, but just because you identify as trans doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go through the medical transition. Yeah. And there, it sounds like if I'm understanding you correctly, that, um, you can maybe do certain aspect, aspects of the physical transition, but you don't have to do all of it. So you could do like yeah. the, 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 uh, the T pills and, and whatnot um, mm -hmm. and, not, and decide to not go through surgery. So there's, there's many different ways that that can look. And um, so, so that's, I never thought about that before because I, I guess I often put things in boxes as well. Yeah, um, we, we all do. <laughs> was there, um, what were the, what were your um, financial considerations in, in all of that? For you so if you know before I knew um, as much as I know now about the Affordable Care Act um, I you know assumed that my insurance company wouldn't cover anything I the job I had before they were kind of you know leading the way in LGBTQ um, rights and insurance um, stuff and they had covered some of the stuff um, however right before I quit I changed uh, jobs they took down that coverage. Um, and of course it's back now because of the Affordable Care Act. <laughs> um, so that was, that was hard. So as soon as I heard that news, I kind of put things on hold and I was like, okay, so um, let's kind of think about this. Like I started to save money for top surgery. Um, a lot of folks do um, crowdfunding. Uh, so crowdfunding sites and, you know, getting like fundraisers, all these things to help with those costs because they can be significant. Right. And if you don't have insurance, that makes it even harder. Right. Um, and finding uh, a surgeon who covers your insurance, too, is could be hard, especially if I'm going out of state because I have uh, insurance that's specific to Utah. So there's a lot of barriers. There's a lot of barriers. Um, is, is there... Maybe a, a few centralized resources that you think that, that the trans community usually goes to 
to find that kind of information? Are there places that they that you would maybe encourage someone to go look if they are looking to try to find a doctor or they are trying to find uh, insurance providers that do uh, provide the, the need, their needs? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So one of them is called the National Center for Transgender Equality. And a lot of information on there about uh, Affordable Care Act, um, surgeries, et cetera, et cetera. Also, if you have a um, like an LGBTQ center in your town or state, contact them. A lot of the LGBTQ resource centers are starting to focus more on mental health and stuff like that. So there are a lot more resources. Um, additionally, you can go to your insurance provider and some insurance providers on, when you're looking up like, you know, therapists, they'll say they're, um, what they specialize in or what they've had further training in. And they'll say like um, some of the wordage is alternative relationships, um, gender and gender identity or um, LGBTQ. So they, so some of the buzzwords you'll, some of them you'll have to like, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean it fits for me or, um, but it's also always okay to call and always okay to email people and, like I was doing, going to do with my therapist is I was going to go and see her and say, this, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, this is what I need from you da, 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 and see if that person could fulfill that. And that's absolutely okay. Um, but I just happened to find a doctor that worked perfect the first time. <laughs> nice. But then that also has that aspect of money. Right. right. Yeah. And so if we also think in terms of like privilege, I am a white trans dude, right? So I have the privilege of being white. So I have, you know, less barriers um, finding those services because I have that privilege. Um, and I do have insurance. I, I have a, a job and I have a, a college degree. So it's the barriers will be different for each person too. And that's, that's where it gets difficult is because those who do um, – you know, are living in poverty situations or, you know, people who are experiencing homelessness, you know, mm-hmm. especially it's high in Utah, you know, 40 plus percent of the home, the youth experiencing homeless in Utah are LGBTQ. Right. So there's, there's a lot to think about because this, you know, costs money and it costs time. So you're going to take time away from work and pay a lot of money for surgeries and so yeah how um how did you uh, calculate how much out-of-pocket expenses you might have is that only through interviewing various doctors or are there resources that someone can go to to sort of estimate what it will cost them out of pocket so i just looked online i googled um like doctors like uh specifically the surgeries so like uh, ftm top surgery and see what doctors had and they'll have price lists. Okay. They'll, um, oftentimes they'll have like insurances that they accept insurances that they, um, you know, like you'll have to look at your insurance company, see if it's like out of network and stuff like that and, um, decide, you know, if that's right for you. But a lot of the doctors list their prices online. You can go for free consultations. You can talk to them on the phone, um, find out like payment plans. Cause some people do, payment plans um they understand that (laughs) it is a lot of money and um it is oftentimes medically necessary for some of these procedures so right yeah the internet has been a wonderful tool um to just do research um yeah could you give us a ballpark estimate um of what it would what it costs to to go full full transition from female to male if somebody decides to do that so um, it would be probably around thirty thousand okay. dollars. So that the includes all the drugs and everything. Yeah. Okay. So and that includes um, some estimates for like therapy too. So the top surgery is going to run you around you know eight six to nine thousand dollars, depending on how much tissue they have to take out, um, and if they get if you do liposuction too because of the excess tissue. And then for the bottom surgery with all the parts associated, so the phalloplasty, the, um, I have a list of it right here. (laughs) It's, yeah, the scrotoplasty, testicular implants, glansplasty, um, 
transposition of the clitoris, all that stuff, um, average about $21,000. So total, if you did all that, it would be around $30,000. Gotcha. And are there, if you do decide to do the entire transition, are there, are, are there ongoing, um, is there ongoing going medical care that a person uh, who identifies at birth as a man doesn't have to deal with? Yes. So, um, starting tea and taking tea, I will have to go back to the doctor regularly because, um, your hormone levels and your specifically testosterone levels are going to be different for every person. Mm -hmm. So, um, there isn't like a set dose, like 25 milligrams, you know, and like, Oh, you're a 50 milligram person. right? Uh, I can see that on South Park. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you have to find out what's right for you. So a part of that is there are some, some risks associated with, um, hormone therapy and, you know, your family history of certain things and like stroke and heart attack, heart attack and stuff like that. And, we kind of talked about the excitement of coming out and realizing that identity that some people might order hormones online, you know, from different countries or different places and not have that right dose. And that could lead to some pretty serious health effects because, you know, people, you know, may think that if you take a lot, you know, extra testosterone that you'll get a beard quicker or something like that. But excess testosterone turns into things like estrogen, which is counterproductive. Right. So you, yeah, follow-up visits are very important, especially with hormones. And, you know, as we all know, surgery, yeah. you make sure you go to those follow-up appointments because if there's any problems like blood clots or, mm-hmm. or anything and to make sure that the doses are correct and that you're being taken care of. Sure. Yeah. What is the time cons- uh, cost? Uh, how long does it take to go from uh, f- a full transition from female to male? I guess it probably depends on how much money you have available, but um, what can somebody expect? Is it one year, five years? It can be, it can be years. Yeah. So I would say one to five years is is an excellent um, example because there, you know, there's the social transition, which includes um, appear, you know, your, your, uh, your gender expression may be changing a little bit and um, self-identifying as trans or like, I'm going through the social transition right now. So I go by Andy instead of my, um, you know, birth name and people at work, your friends, etc. You know, it's all part of that change. Um, and then there's the medical transition that we talked about. So there's the medical interventions, hormones, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the, the legal transition. So name change and gender change. Oh, yeah. So, and depending on that, depending on your state in Utah, we don't have, a way to do it right there's no set like standard like go fill out the gender change form we don't have one so yeah. Yeah. we you know can modify a name change form and include gender and that so far has worked and uh, places like um t of utah has a cool resources on their um their website about how to go through this process so Depending on, I mean, the legal aspect can take a long time because some states require that you have certain surgeries, certain medical interventions to be able to change your gender or to be able to change your birth certificate. Right. Um, Colorado is the one of those states, I think. Right. right. Yeah, we we had the, the attempt to bring that law before uh, the state this year and it was turned down. But the, basically they wanted to make it uh, much more simple for someone to change their gender identity on their driver's license and with the state yeah but I, I think right now it still requires you have to be present in front of a judge and in mm-hmm. order to do it and it's, i think you have to have had some medical transition before you can yeah. before you can get to the judge so and yeah that's that yeah that's difficult that's a huge barrier right? right and depending on what judge you get um you know down here if you live in a more conservative county and you get a judge uh, that may have never seen a case like this or, you know, maybe not believe in it or something, then that can really hinder, hinder your experience. And then depending on the effects of the hormone therapy, um, you know, until you got the results that you wanted, that could, that could take years. Right. Um, So there's, yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) Well, another thing too, with the med, when you go through the medical transition, then you, there are going to be periods of time when you're out of work. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, so that can be months. That. Right. Yeah. And then 
What about your job? What about your insurance? Um, can you get a medical leave of absence? Right. Um, will your job still be there when you get there? Like, what are what are all these things? Mm-hmm. Um, how will the job um, will it be affirming when you come back? Well, you need to do the training yourself, and and that's kind of an interesting piece is that a lot of times trans folk do have to go to their their employers and say, hey, this is what's happening. This is what you know. This is what we're gonna you're gonna expect that or what's gonna it's expected to happen. Excuse me. Sure. Um, you know, it's interesting too that when someone does transition, yeah, transition, the people around them also transition too, because we're all kind of yeah, we're all going through that transition together and using different pronouns maybe and using different names and even inter- interacting in public changes. So. Think about maybe the ease that I have going into public now being gendered as male Mm -hmm. and um, people treating me with more respect. I don't have to worry as much about, um, you know, walking down the street uh, at, you know, at night or something. Um, So it's a whole learning process for everybody. And remember, you know, adhering to social standards and going through the transition process is different for everyone. Sure. And how have, how has the transition for your friends and family and coworkers around you been? Have, have they been able to uh, tr- transition themselves easily or has it been a struggle? It's been, it's been actually really good. The one thing um, still is pronouns because a lot of the people knew me as, you know, she, and so they, yeah, so they're struggling with pronouns, and they're really cute because <laughs> a lot of them, they just use – I mean, I work in an industry that is generally filled with women. I work in domestic violence and sexual assault advocacy. And so, you know, everyone just is beating around women and say, hey, ladies, let's do this. And and then, you know, I'll get an email back that says, oops, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to learn. I'm really sorry. And I'm like, I agree. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, and right. I mean, I've had that talk with the the organization that I work with, and they are wonderful. They're just absolutely wonderful. Right. And, you know, and sometimes people don't have that. And I'm, you know, really lucky that I do. And they have been really great, and they've been really patient and understanding. And we've kept the communication lines open, and it's been great. It's right. been great. So. That's nice. good. It's nice that you have that support, a supportive yeah. system there. Yeah. 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 I can imagine that there are a lot of people who do not, and that just makes it, yeah. it that it inhibits the progress, mm-hmm. you know, and, or yeah, in some cases may make them go backwards. Yeah. yeah. It's got to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would think that if you have that uh, social support that makes the emotional and mental transition for the person who's transitioning um, a little, little bit easier because right. you probably have those tough days or down days. And if you've got oh, yeah. somebody that you can just vent to um, as opposed to having to go to a doctor to vent, um, you know, yeah. that probably helps out a little bit. Yeah. It, yeah, it does. Yeah. So, so there's a lot to take into consideration. Um, can you give us a little bit of context about um, how you prepared financially um, for your transition, but uh, you know, in, including the entire process? Yeah. So I did research. Um, I found prices I um, did some basic calculations and came up with a number that I wanted to save. So I think uh, top surgery was the first thing that I wanted to do. That for me is the most important. Um, You know, that part of the transition is something that I'm very on board with. Um, T would come after that. And that's still something that I'm thinking about. Um, um, and T is the testosterone, right? Testosterone, yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I looked at prices. I asked friends. I have um, several, you know, trans friends that I'm close with. Also, I, you know, worked for an organization that advocated for LGBTQ youth. Mm-hmm. So I had, you know, trans mentors and peers that I could talk to and find out, you know, what worked for them and what didn't in the this stuff. And so a lot of it is finding out how much it'll cost and kind of be prepared for that is that insurance may only cover a small amount. They may, um, 
fight <laughs> to cover it. And then, you know, it could be that you have to pay up front and then the insurance will reimburse you. So unfortunately you have to do a lot of research and find out prices and what the possibilities can, can be um, and be prepared to, to send a strongly worded letter <laughs> to your, <laughs> to your sure insurance right. company. Yeah. yeah. It, it seems to me like that um, with, Unfortunately, with the uh, the way the economy is, that the easy how easy it could be that someone could lose their job. You can't rely yeah. always on the fact that you have mm-hmm. insurance. If you begin the process and then you you know you want to continue the process and you lose your job for whatever reason, whether it's because of an employer or simply because of the economy, then you have to be prepared to be able to continue the process. Yeah, it may be difficult to stop it right yeah. in the middle. Right, it is. And there can be health effects to that too. Like if you just stop taking hormones or if you stop going to follow-up visits after a surgery, like that can be, you know, fatal. So sure. make sure that's an excellent point that we kind of have to have this like pillow, this cushion to fall back on, yeah. like, right. you know, save, you know, 30% more than you would just in case something happened or, right. uh, and that can be hard. That's a privilege of being able to save ten thousand dollars for a surgery. Right. You know, I think yeah. we have like eight bucks so far. So <laughs> <laughs> I think you know David and I are, are strong advocates for having an emergency savings account, yes. um, simply for the fact that, that anybody can lose their job at any time, and you know having that three to six months worth of savings um, will, is, is a good cushion to help you just maintain homeostasis if you're transitioning. Um, that you might want, like, like you said, Andy, you might want to consider bumping that up 10, yeah. 15, 20, 30% because, right. um, you don't want to just stop your transition and some of those, yeah. some of those, uh, some of the parts of the, some of the components of that transition, um, you know, you can't stop, you know, just cold Turkey. Right. Um, so you don't want to put yourself in a, in a greater risk. So that's probably a good takeaway for the audiences. If you are transitioning, um, and I understand that it is a privilege, but something to take into consideration is that you want, you want to have mm-hmm. that, that, that emergency savings account with the beef here right yeah so cool um and so how what uh so you mentioned some of the ways to 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 to, to raise money so there are there are crowd crowdfunding campaigns that some people yeah. take part in are there other um aspects other than just saving 10 percent of your your, your take-home pay so i've seen a lot of community fundraisers too um some people even doing like five k's arranging a 5k for, you know, your community to, to take part in and, um, getting donations from that. Um, I just donated it and <laughs> so I'm a little bit nerdy. I love Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> so, yeah. I just donated a Dungeons and Dragons cave set to someone's top surgery, um, fundraiser. So stuff like that, you know, getting your community involved and, that's also beneficial, not only, you know, to get some dollars, but the community support, um, the education of the community and being able to bring people together as people with a common goal. And, you know, having that human connection with those around you is really, really important. And it's beneficial for everyone within your community. Sure. That's good. I have a question. So if Especially in the last year and a half or two years, we've seen a lot more in the media uh, about individuals who are transitioning or have transitioned. You know, we have uh, we have Laverne Cox from the Orange is the New Black. Uh, we have uh, um, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, and uh, there's a, the new show Strut uh, that is about a modeling agency that is solely mm-hmm. de- devoted to individuals who are trans. Um, how do you think that that is helping or hindering individuals who are transitioning? So it's wonderful to see the trans representation. It's wonderful to see um, people being able to see, you know, people like them on TV. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's, it's opening all these conversations and these dialogues with people that wouldn't normally talk about it. And now it's like, oh, did you hear about this? And so we can kind of have this conversation and... Um, in a way it kind of humanizes people like, Hey, you know, people are here. They've been here forever. Um, however, if that is your first experience with a trans person, you've never, you know, met 
a trans person, well, you think you've never met a trans person, <laughs> right, um, right. you know, before or had that experience that you remember, then that first impression of a trans person can, you know, change the way that you feel about the entire community. Right. I mean, think about things like anti-trans bathroom laws. Um, those have made a significant impact, even for me in Utah. Um, I travel to rural communities as part of my job, and I don't have cell phone service a lot. And going to the bathroom has been um, has increased in danger. So I've you know been harassed in the bathroom. I've been um, looked at. Um, people you know talking amongst themselves, and it's it's kind of scary. So yeah. there's good and bad. And um, you know studies show that if you know someone who is uh, trans, your opinions and your beliefs. Um, related to the trans community and trans folk are more positive because you're able to humanize those people and understand that, you know what? I have a cat. I have my cat Jorge that I love. I love Dungeons and Dragons and I wear sweats most of the time. So I'm just a, a regular you know, person and I don't clean my car a lot. So, <laughs> so it's good to like humanize people too. And you know, guess what? There's more than just the one box that's out there. There's a lot of different boxes. Well, that's, I always come back to the Harvey Milk quote. He always says, you know, you know, the best thing that you can do for the, in that, you know, in his quote, it was the gay community, but um, in the trans community or wherever, is just to come out to your friends and family, let them know that you are trans in this case and that you are also human and that you spend, like us, we spend most weekend nights on, or weeknights on the couch watching TV, <laughs> just like every other couple. <laughs> We're no different. Um, and you know, trans couples and trans people are the same way. Yeah. Um, so I think just, just it, it, it is a courageous step to take. Um, and that's something that, you know, gay people, we can, as gay people, we can identify with. But, um, you know, it, it is a brave step for trans people to take to, to come out. But it does so much for those who follow in your footsteps. Yeah. I think that one of the one of the concerns or, or, or questions I have is it seems like the individuals in the trans community um, that are in the public eye right now are mostly male to female transition yeah. trans women, yeah. and, and that most of them are glamorized. They're yeah. considered very glamorous women. You know, they're feminine. Like, they fit those stereotypes, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. They, they easily fit into the box. And I, I can only feel for the individuals who don't necessarily easily fit into that box of, of being um, at, close to um, that, you know, glamazon woman. You know, I, I can imagine that everyone, every man who's transitioning to, to, to being a woman would love to have the physique of Laverne Cox. And some, mm -hmm. so that, you know, I, I think that they have their idols, you know, it, it would make sense. Um, but I can, I, I wonder how that makes them feel in, inside, you know, the, the inhibitions or the feelings that they may have. It could be difficult, you know, um, because I think about you know, during the, um, during the, the, the transition or the, the mat uh, maturation of the, of the queer community, I think about uh, in the 20s and 30s, oftentimes gay men were depicted as the funny man in the movies. Yeah. Well, what if you were a serious gay man, you know, mm -hmm. or, and, and then in the 50s and 60s and 70s, oftentimes the gays were considered villains. You know, and so you're a gay person and you're struggling with that identity that you're always pictured as a villain. And so you have have those inhibitions or those feelings around who you're um, how you're represented in the media. And it could you know, I just wonder how, how that affects individuals. So, so think about this on a broader scale. So it may not necessarily be uh, like a trans issue, right? It's an issue with like our societies, our media's standard of beauty. So look at the people who do get, um, you know, FaceTime on TV. Look how we do sensationalize certain things and, you know, even look at headlines, how we talk about certain people um, and the words that we use. It's slowly, it's starting to, you're starting to see more representation of people who are genderqueer, who are, you know, gender neutral and gender nonconforming, um, which is wonderful um, because there's a lot of people that do identify within those. Remember that the binary are just two different boxes and all the stuff in the middle is where a lot of, you know, people fit in. Um, at the youth center that I work at, um, 
most of our youth identify within the middle. They use they them pronouns and the uh, you know gender queer and gender neutral. So it's it's slowly starting to happen where we're getting more representation of that um, because we're having these dialogues about beauty and we're having these dialogues about gender. So that does absolutely help. Um, being more socially aware, you know, helps. Um, and it's a process. Like you know. They say that it's easier, easier, I'm a safe quote right there, easier to change laws than it is to change culture. So, you know, remember that we have these ingrained values and we've been socialized a certain way and we've been socialized to believe that this is what beauty looks like, you know, tall, thin, you know, um, you know, big breasted women with, you know, blonde hair or whatever. Um, and that will change, you know, in culture, but we've been socialized to believe what, what beauty is. And, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think a lot of what we believe beauty is was dictated by advertising, right? You know, in the oh, 50s, by the fifties and sixties, and we're we're starting to realize that not everybody is that tall, bombshell, blonde hair, blue eyed, big busted woman. <laughs> right. And thank God, because you know, it would be kind of a boring world to, to live in. So I think it's great that <laughs> I think it's great that we're having this dialogue now, and uh, you know that the more that we talk about this um, on, on as many platforms as we can, the better. And I think it's important for whatever. Um, demographic you fit in to find your people just like we always talk about with money community it's yeah. always important to find your people um, to provide you that that's that social support and if you need uh, you know medical or psychological support find that support so you mm -hmm. can you can express that as you need to and you don't you know keep that internally because that's just gonna not um, manifest itself in a positive way yeah. right do you mind if we ask, uh, you mentioned a couple of times about your job um, and what you do. Do you mind uh, telling us what you do and, and uh, the people you work with, please? Yeah. So I work for a couple um, different organizations. So um, I work for Outreach Resource Centers. It's a, an LGBTQ youth resource center in northern Utah. So I've been there um, a long time, like five years. <laughs> and they have drop-in centers and um, work a lot with youth experiencing homelessness because it's so high with the LGBTQ population, um, trans support groups for adults and youth, um, a really good, really good resources there. And I also work for the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. So I do LGBTQ cultural competency trainings and support for LGBTQ survivors of domestic violence, um, intimate partner violence, sexual assault, stalking. So yeah, I have really big shoes to fill. <laughs> yeah, that sounds. Yeah. So David and I are, are, have to admit that we were quite naive. We um, didn't know until um, the first iteration of Queer Money um, back in March, maybe it was April. We had a, a psychologist on, uh, and radio show host on our show, and we were talking about um, the the uh, whether or not gays are actually richer than the general population. Mm. Um, and we had um, she brought up the, the the point that you know forty percent of homeless people, um, particularly youth identify as queer um, and if and if they don't um, get the support that they need the health that they need um, uh, they don't uh, get the education that they need um, that they are automatically behind the eight ball even before they, they reach adulthood yeah um, so that was very it was very eye-opening to us because we weren't aware that 40 percent of, of, of the homeless youth identify as as queer right um, so it's, I think it's it, it's interesting that this is maybe the third or fourth show that we've had that's come up um, and we're going to be interviewing um, two uh, uh, there's an organization here in Denver called Urban Peak um, mm. where they help homeless youth um, and we're going to talk about that percentage of the population who does, does identify as queer because I think it's very important to, to have that discussion because if, if they don't get the education and the support that they need right. before 18, I mean, they're, they're automatically behind the eight ball and yeah. it just makes their life that much more difficult. Right. And just push to the side, marginalize. Like, think of how we treat people who are experiencing homelessness. Like, mm. right. yeah, it's rough. Yeah, I think what you're doing is great. So after we wrap up the show, um, would you mind holding on? I wanted to talk to you too about something. Um, but I think um, for the most part, I, I, I don't have any more questions at this point. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered that you think would be important for somebody who's considering transitioning or wants to understand um, uh, transitioning more? Yeah, so in understanding um, you know, people who are trans or people who are deciding to transition or even those who are not deciding to transition, remember that it's their transition it's their life mm -hmm. and so if there's no set goal there's no end goal you know it's not okay let's check off these off the list and to remember that each person is different and each person has a standard for what is right for them 
And with that being said, um, that's kind of one of the issues that we see with the some of the laws in the states that require certain medical interventions to happen before you can change your gender. Because think of how problematic and how um, um, hurtful it can be for someone to be forced to not only pay for a surgery, but go through the surgery and then live through a surgery that they, they don't want. Right. Mm-hmm. Only to be able to be affirmed for the person that they are, you know? Right. So well, it's to me, it's, very invasive of privacy. If, if, if oh, I, if I, am a, right. Yeah, exactly. If I am born a man, a, a, a male and I identify as a female, and I don't want to get that surgery. Who's anybody to tell me that I, that I have to. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. We live in, a, we're supposed to live in a free country. Our, our government shouldn't tell us that, well, if you're going to do this and you have to go through surgery, and, yeah. right, what if I don't want to, <laughs> that's, that's not my story. You know, it's, yeah. it's a little bit different. So is there anything that you, any, answer questions you have? I do have a question and this comes from personal experience. Um, I remember um, I used to go to the gym in the morning and there was a um, male to female uh, individual and I, I'm, I'm making an assumption here just based on appearance and I I wanted to talk to him or to her I should say. I wanted to talk to her but I always felt scared to um, you know, even though I'm part of the queer community, and this is this was about five years ago, even though I'm part of the queer community, I always felt inhibition because I felt like I was going to make some major mistake and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, in, in how I addressed her and what I said, and I felt that uh, that level of, uh, of uncomfortability. And you know, I, I you know I think back on it and I, I really wish that I would have done something. What would you suggest to someone who wants to take that step? but is uncomfortable, you know, maybe this isn't somebody that you interact with on a regular basis, but you want to take that step and introduce yourself to that person. What would you recommend we do to get over those fears, those internal fears? Because I can't imagine that there aren't those, those similar feelings on the other side that you wonder why more people don't introduce or say, mm-hmm. say you know. So. Okay, so that's interesting. So let's talk about intent. And remember, intent does not equal impact. So um, I go to the gym, <laughs> and there's been a couple times that people have walked up to me um, and a partner and said, are you two together? Like, you're so cute, and da-da-da-da. And that's interesting. You know, it's it's nice. It's like, oh, she, you know, a very sweet older woman um, was talking to us. But why did she feel the need that she had to come up to us specifically? Because there's a lot of other couples there, right? So, um think about like motives. Is it for your own curiosity? Is it to help, um, or, you know, to help help that person feel more comfortable? Like, Hey, you know, you do have a community here. Um, and also, you know, think about like tokenizing people, like how that could affect the person that you walk up to. And it's okay, you know, to just walk up and say, Hey, what's up? You know, my name's, you know, so-and-so. And, um, do you, you know, do you come here often and just, or whatever, like maybe that's a little bit of a pickup line, but, um, <laughs> you, just, you know, introduce yourself as a, as a person, say, Hey, what's up, you know, and allow them if they are comfortable and allow them to, you know, disclose things to you. And remember that don't let your curiosity, um, be the reason why you're talking to people because that can be that can be hurt, you know harmful and hurtful and that's when you know sometimes uh oftentimes trans folks during an interview are asked things like what you know do your genitals genitals look like and um, how does it feel to you know this and so questions that you wouldn't normally ask another person you know just at the gym don't ask those to a trans person either right, right. so yeah just remember to Put your your privilege and your curiosity in a little bag. Just tie it up, put it in your your, your locker, and right. and just have a a meaningful interaction with someone. Yeah, I did always find it very quite awesome. This was five years ago, so the, tra- the trans discussion wasn't as 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 as, as uh, prevalent as it is now. Um, and this is a part of Denver. It's kind of closer to the suburbs. It's not like I don't know. Denver's is kind of kind of big, but it wasn't in, in, in downtown. Um, and there was just never a problem that she was there. Right. And I was, to me, that was the thing I was always happiest about. It was early in the morning, a bunch of men 
lifting heavy weights, you know, kind of fitting a stereotype. And it was just, she was just another person working out and nobody seemed to have a problem with it. Right. And I thought that was always very cool. Um, so, yeah. And be an ally, be an ally. So if you see something, you know, right. right. And it's okay to walk up to the staff and say, Hey, um, that person is not being treated and you know, da, 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 da. Yeah. so stand up to, you know, be an ally and, but keep yourself safe. There are different degrees of bystander intervention. Remember that yep, yeah. you don't have to jump onto the, the <laughs> yeah, machine yeah. to save anyone, but yeah. yeah. I, I just always thought that was cool. And he, he would always talk about, you know, <laughs> should we introduce ourselves or whatever? And I was, to me, I always thought to myself, it's, it's six o'clock in the morning. I don't really want to talk to anybody. And then I'm sure that she, there's a good chance she just doesn't want to either. Right. <laughs> so, you know, just, yeah. you know, if, if there happens to be a need to discuss, like, hey, you're yeah. using those weights, um, yeah. you know, th then that's okay. But I don't know. Just, yeah, just treat them like a, I would think, like anybody else. And you're, right, you're probably good. So, um, well, Andy, we want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, we really <laughs> appreciate you. Um, you accommodating our schedules and flex being flexible and um, letting, uh, helping educate David and me. Because, like I said earlier, um, we, we don't know that of the trans people that we know and, and uh, we certainly don't want to make any mistakes and it's I think we got through without offending anybody <laughs> so. well you have a trans friend now <laughs> yes, yes we thank do. you thank absolutely you. and we have not been to um, we have not been to Utah and it, we, we've talked about Utah quite um, a couple times on our show because I'm going to make sure I say this right that Utah has the highest Salt, Salt Lake City oh, Salt Lake City <laughs> has, the, has the highest highest concentration of queer individuals out of all the major cities in the United States. Yep. Come to Utah and I will show you around. We'll go hiking. <laughs> we'll go to all the spots. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, I definitely have to do that because we, one of the shows that we did was, um, uh, you know, comparing the cost. Um, you know, if you are queer, um, it seems to be the, always the migration to LA or San Francisco or New York yeah. city. And they're very expensive cities and, right. and unless you have a certain career uh, or a certain, you know, inherent wealth um that, that could be cost prohibitive especially when as you're saving for retirement so we, we talked about second and third tier cities that you might want to consider moving to and that's when we discovered that utah's very, very teeming with queer, queer individuals queer friendly yeah. <laughs> i live in ogden and ogden is wonderful nice. it's I, you'll like ogden you'll like ogden oh, we'll definitely have to have to arrange a trip out there sometime and if you ever come to denver certainly oh absolutely you have a place to stay so so uh we want to thank our audience for for joining us again if you have any questions or comments uh feel free to, to let us know um and as always please um like share and subscribe our show with your friends family and uh, the general public so uh, we'll see you next week for another queer money thank you thank you bye thank you andy for sharing your story and your knowledge with us as you can see I have much to learn about our trans brothers and sisters. I hope you were able to learn something as well. For those of you in any stages of the process of transition, we hope that you were able to gain some insight from Andy. If you have any comments or questions regarding financial aspects of transitioning, feel free to ask us on Twitter or Facebook at Deaf Free Guys, and we will share what resources we have at our disposal. Thank you again for joining us, and remember to live debt free, have fun, and be money conscious. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> it would help me if I had a personal chef made all me all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.